I'm reading Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 7. It's in your pew Bible on page 476. So, I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there's madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. This is the word of the Lord. Well, all this week, children went back to school, and at American universities, freshmen start moving in this weekend, start that process of severing the umbilical cord. We moved lots of them into Sanford this week. When I was a pastor, I grew older every year along with the congregation. Children were born. They grew up and received their Bibles when they went into kindergarten or first grade. Little girls turned into beautiful young women. Wrinkles slowly started appearing on people's faces, but at that level it wasn't perceptible. And now when I'm in the university, I, along with my colleagues, grow older every year, but the students stay the same age. They are forever 18 to 22 or 23 or 24, depending on how long it takes for them to get out of there. But in our experience of the passage of time, we are aware that we only have so many days on this earth. And that we are all growing older. We're growing older. Some people are just growing old. Some of that's a part of one's mentality and perspective on life. But as you get older, whether you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s or on, you begin to notice that um, sometimes your mind makes commitments that your body can't keep up with. You don't have to be in your 80s or 90s to experience that. And you can have senior moments where you forget something and you don't necessarily have to be a senior. I heard about these two men who were fast friends every Thursday at noon, as long as they could remember. And when weather permitted, they had a tea time at the golf course. They probably knew more about each other than anyone else except maybe their spouses. So on one Thursday, they they teed off, got in the golf cart, headed down the fairway. (laughs) One of the guys said, now we're good friends, so I can ask you this without being embarrassed. But I'm sitting here thinking real hard, trying for the life of me to remember your wife's name, and I can't remember it. 
And the guy sitting next to him said, well, how soon do you need to know? (laughs) Only people who are laughing are those who hadn't had something like that happen to them. Well, let me ask you a question. How old would you be if you didn't know how old you were? How old would you be if you didn't know how old you were? For many people in this room, it would be less than your chronological age, wouldn't it? For these little ones here this morning, they would want to be older because they're not five or six. They're six and a half. Nobody ever says, I'm 40 and a half, right? Whether you consider yourself old or not, let's face it, we're growing older. We have only so many days on this earth. Only God knows how many those are. Time passes. Lewis Sherrill, in a book entitled The Struggle of the Soul, says that the task of growing older is to simplify one's life. And as one grows older and matures, one concentrates on what's really important, what matters and what doesn't. There was an old preacher one time in Texas who told me that in the ministry there are only three things in the end, three things you need to know, and that's you've got to trust God, laugh at the devil, and ride loose in the saddle. That was a Texan talking, wasn't it? My own father, who's still living, my mother too, my father turned 84 this summer. And he said um, a successful retirement depends on three things. There he goes, simplifying his life. He said you have to have someone to love, something to do, and something to look forward to. I thought that's pretty good advice. I found out this summer one week when the temperature was hovering around 100, he played golf twice in one week. And, and I asked him, I said, aren't you getting a little bit old to be out in that heat? He said, at my age, I have to make every day count because I don't know if I'm in the fourth quarter or if it's overtime. That's a pretty good attitude. There was a sociological study done of 50 people over the age of 95, over 95. And they were given this question, if you had to do it over again, what would you do differently? Most of them said that they would take more risks because their regrets were not so much about the things that they had done that they were sorry for. Their regrets were over the things that they wished they had done and had not done, so they would take more risks. They also said we'd probably spend more time investing our life and our energies in things that are going to live on after us. And then they almost all said they would have taken more time to reflect and been less busy. Reflect on the things that really matter. And that's the task of life as we grow older, regardless of our chronological age, reflecting on what really matters, what it's all about. This was the mission of the person who wrote this book called Ecclesiastes. Many biblical scholars believe it was Solomon. He only identifies himself by the Hebrew word koheleth, which translated means the teacher. So let's call him the teacher and see what we can learn from him. Here is a man who discovers that his life is most likely largely behind him. Chances are he has more days behind him than days ahead of him. We don't know exactly his chronological age. He has a unique vantage point from where he stands. There's a panoramic view of life since his birth and as he glimpses into the future facing his certain death. 
He looks over a life and makes these observations and reflects upon them. And he said, life is full of puzzles, perplexing enigmas, things that just don't seem to make sense. He notices that people are in one hot pursuit after another as if that one thing is what really matters. But this teacher tells us it's meaningless. It's vanity. There's no point in it, to put it in our words. Here's a man who knows that he's running out of time. And from reading this book, we know that he's wealthy, he's famous, he's powerful. But this one question eats at his soul. Has he really done anything significant with his life? He's honest about his regrets. He's still hopeful about his opportunities. Some people say this book is just the musings of a cynical old man. But they would be cynical if it were not for the grace of God. Life is meaningless apart from the love and the grace of God. Here's a man who at the end of his life is saying, instead of trying to grab the last ounce of energy out of this life, we ought to release our hold on it and be open and receptive, taking it as it comes every day as the gift that it truly is from God. And that verse 7 of chapter 9 is pivotal when he says, go and eat your food in gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart because it is now that God favors what you do. It's right now that we are to live each day for the rest of our lives. For the teacher tells us that our life is not about one thing. The meaning of life is not about one thing except for doing the will of God or knowing the love of God in Christ. It's not about one thing. It's not about the promotion, the next level, the great answer, the immortal contribution, the Academy Award. It's not about the gold medal or the yellow jersey. No, each day contains the goodness, the generosity, and the blessing of God, if you will see it that way. Now, every year there is a new edition of a book that records the feats and the foibles of all those people who believe it's about one thing. And the book I'm talking about is the Guinness Book of World Records. If you do that one thing better or faster than anybody else, you'll get your name in the book. Did you know that Bruce Block in 1988 balanced 211 cigar boxes on his chin for nine and a half seconds? That's more cigar boxes longer than anybody else has ever done that. He got his name in the book. It's about one thing. The longest after-dinner speech, 30 hours. A guy named Ken Thompson. The subject was vegetarian athletic nutrition. I get indigestion thinking about that topic. Tim mentioned that I'm from Jacksonville, Texas. My hometown of Jacksonville, Texas is in the book. The football stadium there is called the Tomato Bowl. Because at one time, the economy was based upon tomatoes. And they have a big tomato festival every year. Jacksonville, Texas, a few years ago at the Tomato Fest in the month of June, 
came up with the biggest bowl of salsa that has ever been made. They got their name in the book. Jacksonville, Texas also a few years ago had the distinction of being the town of the world's oldest human being. She held that distinction for about 11 months. Emma Sanborn, she died when she was 115, if you can imagine that. All these people get their names in the book. Now, most of us don't have this desire to juggle five basketballs down the road longer than anybody else or or eat more jalapeno peppers in ten minutes more than anybody else has ever eaten. But sometimes we will go after something as if it is the one thing that's going to authenticate us, to complete us, to bring wholeness and meaning to our lives. It's how we will leave our divots scraped on planet Earth and make our mark so that somebody will know that we were here and that we mattered. Well, the teacher, the writer of Ecclesiastes, it says, I have been there and I've done that. I spent most of my life searching for that one thing that would round me out and give me that elusive sense of satisfaction that escapes me. Every path, however, was a dead end. He said, I sought to gratify myself. I, I concluded that life is about being happy, about engaging in pleasure. And he engaged in pleasure, all forms of it. His conclusion about it was it's meaningless, it's futile. Here was a man who was known for his accomplishments. You should have seen his projects, the houses that he built, the vineyards he planted, the gardens he cultivated, the reservoirs he constructed. He owned cattle. He commanded slaves. He amassed more silver and gold than anybody. He said he was greater by far than anyone else in the city of Jerusalem. But what was his verdict? It's meaningless. He was also a learned man. They didn't have PhDs back then, but he certainly would have been the kind of person who would have earned a PhD and maybe been a college professor or an academic administrator. He sought wisdom and knowledge. Anything that he could get his hands on, he would read to stretch his mind and open his his thinking up. But again, the verdict was the same. It's meaningless. Decided he would work harder. He threw himself more feverishly into what he had to do and what he gained. He said, nothing. There is no one Thing that will give us what we want. That's not what life is all about. We're about to start a new um, National Football League football season. Preseason is on right now. I guess you probably heard that we're going to play college football this year. Nobody's been talking about that, right? But the pros will start in a few weeks with the regular season, and it will build to a crescendo sometime in the middle, late January, early February, to that great event of all events, the Super Bowl. I remember hearing a player interviewed one year whose team had made it to the Super Bowl, and the reporter was plying him with questions that were dripping with all the hype and hyperbole that surrounds that event. And the reporter said, what's it like to come to this place, to fulfill this dream, to be a part of the greatest game in the history of sports. And the player responded with a question and said, if this is the greatest game of all time, why are we going to play another one next year? Here's a man who, though he was a success athletically, knew that life is not about one thing. You live each day for the rest 
of your life in the goodness and the grace of God. When the children of Israel made the exodus out of Egyptian slavery towards the promised land, God got their attention through his power. God parted the waters of the Red Sea. He led them safely through. The water closed up over the Egyptian army and destroyed them. The people were delivered, and when they got to the other side, they sang, The Lord will be king forever and ever. The Lord will be king forever and ever. And we find out that forever and ever was about 48 hours because after three days, they complained that they were hungry and that they were thirsty. And their doubts gnawed away at them. And some of them even wanted to go back to Egypt to the security of slavery rather than face the uncertainty of the desert before them. One big knock dead miracle did not solve the problem of faith. So we read that God changed his tactics. God provided them water to drink, basic sustenance. God gave them bread to eat to nourish them. God provided shade under which they could rest as a shelter from the desert sun. And the Bible says that then the people experienced the goodness of God. Go eat your food in gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart because it is now that God favors what you do. Don't wait till you go off to college or you graduate from college or until you get your business established or you buy your dream home or you take that great vacation or your child is old enough to understand certain things. Take life as it comes and hold it close to you and savor it for the gift that it is. Love it and live with it faithfully. For now is the time that God favors what you do. And the teacher also teaches us that sometimes to live, regardless of how much time you have remaining, you have to give up the dream. That's right. Sometimes you have to let the dream die so that you can live. Now, that's not the kind of advice you'll hear at a graduation speech. And believe me, I've heard plenty of them. Now, please don't misunderstand me. You have to have goals and dreams for your life. But sometimes you have to let a dream die in order that you can live into the goodness and grace of God. What do I mean by the dream? Well, the dream is that vision that you have for yourself. How did it start? Probably a seed planted by somebody. Maybe a teacher in school who noticed your ability. A coach who coached you on the field. A parent, a grandparent, a youth minister. That dream maybe arose out of a sense of deficiency or deprivation. A sense of inadequacy or tragedy. It could have come from the blessing that was given to you by family members. It maybe came because you didn't feel that you were blessed. But the dream is the hope that you will be somebody truly special someday and make a difference and be noticed. It's the boy, athletically skilled, who wants to be a quarterback. Not just in college, but maybe in the National Football League. It's it's the girl who who wants to marry and have a family and everything will be alright. It's the student who has great academic ability and wants to serve others by being a medical doctor. 
It's the hope that our names will be important, our work will be recognized, that we will be loved by those closest to us, that our marriages will be nurturing, and that our children, like Garrison Keillor said, will all be above average. But then somewhere along the way, the man one day, as his hair is thinning, and as he loses his jump shot, and as he crosses the threshold of that chronological date called 40, it slowly dawns on him that he's probably not going to be the CEO of the company or make partner in the firm. Someone else realizes when they retire that that money they set aside and hoped for because of the recession of 2008 is not going to allow them to retire at 58. And in fact, they're probably not going to be able to retire when they're 65. They'll be lucky to retire when they're 70. They're not going to have money to buy that vacation home or to go on that trip. Have to let the dream die. It could be that a parent having trouble with that six-year-old says, My goodness, if they're this challenging when they're six, what's going to happen when they're 16? I'll tell you what's going to happen. It's going to be a lot harder. Sometimes you have to let a dream die so that you can live and take the goodness and grace of God as it comes to you. This is what the teacher says. Give it up. Take what you have. Love it and cherish it. Because when you are relieved of the burden of being remarkable is then when you can discover how remarkable life can truly be. You'll find that grace leaps out of the ordinary in the smile of a child. Or flowers in your garden. Or a song that you sing at church. Or in the conversation with a friend or family member. Or even standing beside a hospital bed. Of someone who's gravely ill. Grace leaps out of the ordinary. Of Jesus, the Bible said the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he lived in such a way so that we could die to the things that don't really matter. And he died in such a way so that we can live for the things that do. So when's life going to happen for you? It is now that God favors what you do. So in God's goodness and grace, learn to live each day for the rest of your lives. Shall we pray together? Lord, for the gift of this day, this day of worship, of gathering in this place with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we give you thanks. Lord, today we thank you for our lives, for the givenness of it all, for our friends, our family, for what we have, and maybe even for what we think we should have and don't have. But help us to depend on you and your grace. Lord, as your recreated people, filled with your Spirit, help us every day to be instruments of your peace, of reconciliation, of your goodness, so that people can see the reality of your truth in us. Lead us and guide us as we walk each day for the rest of our lives until we journey to that place we'll call home where we will worship you forever in your loving presence. And we ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.